Good evening and welcome to Psychiatry Today. This is your host, Dr. Scott Bay, bringing you all the latest mental health-related news, including everything about the mind, the brain, human behavior, how to feel well emotionally, how to cope better with stress, how to rid yourself of bad habits, how to improve your relationships, how to make sense of media reports about the latest research into how to better diagnose and treat mental illness, and all of that delivered to you without the hype and distortion of other media sources, with the benefit of more than 25 years in the practice of psychiatry, and with the goal of reducing the stigma of having a psychiatric diagnosis and needing treatment for it, as well as better informing the general public about mental health issues. And welcome again to another hour on your Wednesday evening of mental health news. And to get started with tonight's podcast, many of you may have heard about the World Happiness Report that came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, This certainly was discussed in all the mainstream news outlets. And if you didn't hear about it, we'll review that and uh, see what implications there are for our mental health here in the United States and how we ranked in the world as far as happiness. Uh, Some of you may be surprised at the countries that rank ahead of us, if not also behind us. Well, in Norway, oil prices have fallen a threat to one of its main industries across much of the country. Average daytime temperatures still hover around the freezing point. And yet, Norway is the happiest country on earth, according to the 2017 World Happiness Report, which is an annual ranking of 155 countries. It's published by the Sustainable Development Solutions Network, which is a United Nations initiative. The Scandinavian country of Norway unseated Denmark for the top spot on this year's list, which was uh, published around the third week in March, in conjunction with the United Nations International Day of Happiness. Bet you didn't know there was one of those, did you? Now, not far behind Norway are Denmark, Iceland, Switzerland, and Finland. Wow, so those Nordic and Scandinavian countries uh, certainly have a lot of happy people. Tied for ninth are the Netherlands, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and Sweden. So you have a couple of countries at the opposite end of the globe. Closer to the North and South Poles, there's greater happiness there tried to figure out what implications that has, could not come up with anything. Now, let's look closer to the equator. The Central African Republic, a landlocked nation that has seen increasing violence between warring factions, came in last. And again, I tried to come up with something, okay, countries closer to the poles, more happy, country close to the equator, less happy. 
doesn't make a lot of sense, right? It doesn't go along with what we know about sunlight and depression and happiness. You would think the countries near the equator would be happier. Well, obviously there are a lot more things that go into someone's living conditions uh, based on what's going on in their country that controls whether they're happy or not. We'll be getting into some of those shortly. The United States fell in at number 14, down a spot from last year. And the United States has never cracked the top 10 since the rankings were first published in 2012 when it came in at number 11. Yikes, we're steadily dropping. Why measure happiness? Some experts say that it is a better measure of a nation's progress and that using social well-being as a goal drives better public policy. It's the human beings that matter. If the riches make it harder to have frequent and trustworthy relationship between people, is it worth it? According to John Hallowell, lead author of the report and an economist at the University of British Columbia, he says the material can stand in the way of the human. The World Happiness Report rankings are based on data from the Gallup World Poll, which uses a simple measure called the Cantrill Ladder, Cantrill, C-A-N-T-R-I-L. People are asked to envision a ladder with their best possible life being a 10 on top rung of the ladder and the worst possible life being a zero on the bottom rung of the ladder. And then they're asked, so where does your life fall on this ladder? And there are six key variables which are then used to explain those happiness scores, according to the report. They are income, healthy life expectancy, having someone to count on in times of trouble. Let me just pause with that one right there. Okay, so it's going to be... A society where there's a lot of social cohesion and uh, families staying near each other. Okay, and then the other factors are generosity, freedom, and trust. Now, trust is measured by the absence of corruption in business and government. All right, so right there and then it tells you why a Central African Republic, unfortunately, uh, would be at the bottom rung. Uh, because sadly, um, that, uh, that country, uh, and like many others in Africa and in South or Central America, you know, have governments that uh, are rife with corruption. Uh, so apparently in corruption in business and government, a main driver of unhappiness. So all of the countries in the top ten scored very highly in these six areas, with Norway as the leading example of how those factors contribute to the happiness of their residents. Uh, <clears throat> let's go over them again. Income, healthy life expectancy, having someone to count on in times of trouble, generosity, freedom, and trust. Uh, and again, trust is uh, measured specifically by the absence of corruption in business and government. Norway coming out on top, it is sometimes said that it achieves and maintains 
its high happiness not because of its oil wealth, but in spite of it, by choosing to produce its oil slowly and investing the proceeds for the future, rather than spending them in the present, Norway has insulated itself from the boom and bust cycle of many other resource-rich economies. To do this successfully requires high levels of mutual trust, shared purpose, generosity, and good governance, all factors that help to keep Norway and other top countries where they are in the happiness rankings. Americans, on the other hand, have been reporting declining happiness over the past decade, while the United States has improved in two of the six variables, that is GDP per capita and healthy life expectancy, it has suffered when it comes to the four social variables. American citizens are reporting less social support, less sense of personal freedom, lower donations, and more perceived corruption of government and business. This is also the first year the report has included a chapter called Restoring American Happiness. The author of that chapter, economist and Columbia University professor Jeffrey D. Sachs, states that America's declining happiness is a social crisis, not an economic crisis. The United States, he concluded in the report, is looking for happiness in all the wrong places. He says the country is mired in a roiling social crisis that is getting worse, yet the dominant political discourse is all about raising the rate of economic growth, and the prescriptions for faster growth, mainly deregulation and tax cuts, are likely to worsen, not reduce, social tensions. Almost surely, further tax cuts will increase inequality, social tensions, and the social and economic divide between those with and without a college degree. You can certainly see where there's citizens reporting less social support. Uh, people are very spread out, move quite a bit. Uh, as far as lower donations, again, uh, it's only few years ago that we came out of a tremendous recession, uh, so there is less generosity, although that's starting to change. And uh, there are constantly stories of misbehavior on the part of government officials and businesses, so it's not hard to see that trust is in short supply. Uh, again, so let's just take a look at the rankings, the happiest countries, let's say the 10 happiest countries in order, Norway, Denmark, Iceland, Switzerland, Finland, Netherlands, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and Sweden. Uh, we practically took a roster of all of uh, the Scandinavian and Nordic countries, again with the exception of Australia and New Zealand. Um, yes, we have to give the Aussies and the Kiwis a lot of credit for fostering a positive uh, economic as well as social environment, uh, being that they're so geographically disparate from the rest of the countries on the top ten. And um, <clears throat> let's take a closer look at the least happy countries. 
Okay, so you're looking at um, being poor economically and not having good trust in government and business. Central African Republic, the least happy. Then Burundi, Tanzania, Syria, Rwanda, Togo, Guinea, Liberia, South Sudan, and Yemen. Uh, so these are countries rife with uh, a combination of war, famine, corruption, few uh, government and business or social supports. All right, we'll continue to take a look at the World Happiness Report and have other mental health-related news when we come back from our first commercial break. You're listening to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott. Be right back after these words. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Psychiatry Today with your host, Dr. Scott Bay, bringing you all the latest mental health-related news, including the World Happiness Report from a UN commission ranking the state of happiness of the 155 countries in the world that it takes a look at every year. Again, we only came in 14th and we're dropping. Uh, the Declaration of Independence inscribed as a fundamental right the pursuit of happiness. Uh, and again, as we've been talking about, Norway is the one that's taken that goal most to heart. Um, the, it, it helps Norway, known for its fjords and reindeer and midnight sun, a nation of five million people. Uh, and again, it moved up from fourth place last year to dethrone number one Denmark. That it does have a lot of oil wealth, uh, which boosted per person annual income as measured by economic output to more than 100,000 nearly double that of the United States. It also helps that it has an unemployment rate slightly below the United States, 4.7%, and low income inequality. The gap between the rich, uh, the richest and poor citizens is one-third as large as that in the United States. Uh, as we've been talking about in the first segment, a cold climate 
seems to correlate with happiness for some reason. The top seven countries are all in northern locations. Uh, again, those are Norway, Denmark, Iceland, Switzerland, Finland, Netherlands, and Canada. By choosing to produce oil deliberately and investing the proceeds for the benefit of future generations, Norway has protected itself from the volatile ups and downs of many other oil-rich economies. And as far as happiness declining in the United States, uh, where we've been rattled by a slow economic recovery in a deeply partisan political landscape, decreased social support and increased corruption are the main reasons why our happiness is declining. However, we are happier than some other major democracies and economies. Um, we're, again, we're 14th. We're happier than Germany, which is 16th, the UK, which is 19th, and France, which is 31st. Um, and again, the report is published by the United Nations Sustainable Development Solutions Network. Well, we've got a lot of work to do to improve our happiness. Next on Psychiatry Today, an article about another situation that uh, affects different countries across the globe somewhat differently that uh, has an impact on mental health, and that is climate change. When people think about climate change, they probably first think about its effects on the environment and possibly on one's physical health. But climate change also takes a significant toll on mental health. According to a new report released by the American Psychological Association and Echo America entitled Mental Health and Our Changing Climate, Impacts, Implications, and Guidance. Climate change-induced severe weather and other natural disasters have the most immediate effects on mental health in the form of the trauma and shock due to personal injuries, loss of a loved one, damage to or loss of personal property, or even the loss of livelihood. Terror, anger, shock, and other intense negative emotions that can dominate people's initial response may eventually subside, only to be replaced by post-traumatic stress disorder. As an example, of the impact natural disasters can have. Among a sample of people living in areas affected by Hurricane Katrina in 2005, suicide and suicidal thinking more than doubled. One in six people met the diagnostic criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder, and 49% developed an anxiety or mood disorder such as depression. The impacts of climate on mental health are not relegated to disasters alone. There are also significant mental health impacts from longer-term climate change. Changes in climate affect agriculture, infrastructure, and livability, which in turn affect occupations and quality of life and can force people to migrate. 
These effects may lead to loss of personal and professional identity, loss of social support structures, which we talked about in the happiness survey, a loss of sense of control and autonomy, and other mental health impacts, such as feelings of helplessness, fear, and fatalism. High levels of stress and anxiety are also linked to physical health effects, such as a weakened immune system. Worry about actual or potential impacts of climate change can lead to stress that can build over time and eventually lead to stress-related problems, such as substance abuse, anxiety disorders, and depression. Climate change is likewise having mental health impacts at the community level. Both acute and long-term changes have been shown to elevate hostility and interpersonal and intergroup aggression and contribute to the loss of social identity and cohesion. Certain disadvantaged communities, such as indigenous communities, children, and communities dependent on the natural environment, can experience disproportionate mental health impacts. The key to combating the potential negative psychological effects of climate change is building resilience. It includes a section dedicated to offering guidance to aid professionals in supporting and promoting the mental health of individuals and communities and helping them build psychological resilience. One recommendation is to guide people to support and maintain their social networks. Individuals' personal capacity to withstand trauma is increased when they are connected to their networks off and online. Researchers have found that higher levels of social support during and in the aftermath of a disaster are associated with lower rates of psychological distress. The report also emphasized that adopting environmentally friendly policies and lifestyle choices can have a positive effect on mental health. For example, choosing to bike or walk to work has been associated with decreased stress levels. If walking or biking to work is impractical or unsafe, use of public transportation has been associated with an increase in community cohesion and a reduction in symptoms of depression and stress. Also, increased accessibility to parks and other green spaces could benefit mental health as spending more time in nature has been shown to lower stress levels and to reduce stress-related illness, regardless of socioeconomic status, age, or gender. You know, in reading the description of the findings of the report, uh, it brings to mind that there possibly could even be military or strategic implications. Um, Articles have been written by military experts uh, that see climate change as one of many factors that may increase instability uh, due to the negative impact on the population. Now, the uh, report 
It's called an update to beyond storms and droughts, psychological impacts of climate change. It was a report released by the American Psychological Association in Echo America, first in 2014. It was a seminal work on the relationship between climate change and psychology. Uh, Beyond Storms and Droughts was cited in the United States Global Change Research Program's Scientific Assessment, The Impacts of Climate Change on Human Health in the United States. This 2017 update builds on the findings of the first report with new research expanded emphasis on inequity, deeper guidance for individuals and communities, and stories from professionals who are studying and supporting mental health in a changing climate. Well, there you have it. So uh, it wasn't mentioned in the World Happiness Report, but certainly uh, climate change and uh, the effects it has on people uh, could be considered a factor in uh, happiness in a population. And uh, as this report says, certainly contributes to global levels of psychological distress and increased levels of disorders such as post-traumatic stress. Next up on Psychiatry Today, a couple of articles that point the way to predicting a better course of treatment for those with mental illness. Um, this is one of the major problems uh, that we have in psychiatry. Um, as far as diagnosing an illness, that's one thing, but then deciding on a treatment. Uh, if someone has um, most any other type of medical problem, it's uh, quite straightforward to contemplate how you're going to go about treating it. Uh, however, in psychiatry, we have lots and lots of different treatments, and unfortunately, in most cases, we don't have a way of knowing in advance which ones will work or not. So to be able to narrow down the choices and make these predictions uh, would certainly be uh, a major advance, in fact, if not a breakthrough, in terms of improving uh, the rates of recovery from mental health problems. And uh, in the first of two articles, we're going to look at how brain scans can help clinicians choose between whether talk therapy or psychotherapy or medication may be the best course of action for depression. And in the second one, we're going to look at how researchers have found a way to predict whether lithium a mainstay of the medication treatment for bipolar disorder may work or not before prescribing it. But first, we'll take our next commercial break. You're listening to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott. Be right back after these words. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare. Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month 
and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Psychiatry Today with your host, Dr. Scott Bay. You're a psychiatrist bringing you all the latest mental health-related news. There are researchers from Emory University right here in Atlanta, Georgia, who have found that specific patterns of activity on brain scans may help clinicians identify whether psychotherapy or antidepressant medication is more likely to help individual patients recover from depression. This is potentially groundbreaking because, as I said uh, at the end of the second segment, introducing uh, these uh, two articles we're going to talk about, we really don't have ways of knowing in advance what type of treatment a patient will respond to or not. This study, aptly enough, is called PREDICT, uh, with a small case E in the middle, and they randomly assigned patients to 12 weeks of treatment with one of two antidepressant medications or with cognitive behavioral therapy. At the start of the study, patients underwent a functional MRI brain scan, which was then analyzed to see whether the outcome from cognitive behavioral therapy or medication depended on the state of the brain prior to starting treatment. The study results are published as two papers in the March 24th issue of the American Journal of Psychiatry. The MRI scans identified that the degree of functional connectivity between an important emotion processing center called the subcolossal cingulate cortex and three other areas of the brain was associated with the treatment outcomes. Specifically, patients with positive connectivity between the brain regions were significantly more likely to achieve remission from symptoms with cognitive behavioral therapy, whereas patients with negative or absent connectivity were more likely to remit with antidepressant medication. 
Uh, to me, this is fascinating because we've known for years that there are just some patients who don't respond to medication. And likewise, you'll come across patients who will report that they've tried therapy several times but never found that it was helpful. <clears throat> All depressions are not equal. And like different types of cancer, different types of depression will require specific treatments. Using these scans, we may be able to match a patient to the treatment that is most likely to help them, while avoiding treatments unlikely to provide benefit, that according to Dr. Helen Mayberg, who led the imaging study. Dr. Mayberg is a leader in the field of innovative treatments for mental health disorders, including using deep brain stimulation to treat things like depression and obsessive compulsive disorder. Mayberg and co-investigators sought to develop methods for a more personalized approach to treating depression. Current treatment guidelines for major depression recommend that a patient's preference for psychotherapy or medication be considered in selecting the initial treatment approach. However, in the PREDICT study, patients' preferences were only weakly associated with outcomes. Preferences predicted treatment dropout, but not improvement. These results are consistent with prior studies, suggesting that achieving personalized treatment for depressed patients will depend more on identifying specific biological characteristics in patients rather than relying on their symptoms or their treatment preferences. The results from PREDICT suggest that brain scans may offer the best approach for personalizing treatment going forward. Well, that may be, but there is a very significant problem with that. These brain scans are extremely expensive. And do you think patients are going to be able to afford them? No. Do you think that health insurance companies are going to pay for something that's sole purpose is to just predict whether they should have therapy or medication? They're going to say, sorry, that's certainly not life-threatening and not anything even close to being even less serious. So you're going to have to have a trial of medication. If you fail that, add therapy. And uh, if you fail both of those, good luck to you. But we're not paying for a functional MRI scan that costs many, many, many thousands of dollars. Um, <clears throat> hopefully, the findings will lead to something that is more cost-effective and more practical in a way of making these differentiations. In recruiting 344 patients from across the metro Atlanta area for the study, researchers were able to convene a more diverse group of patients than other previous studies, with roughly half of the participants self-identified as African American or Hispanic. The diverse sample demonstrated that the evidence-based psychotherapy and medication treatments recommended as first-line treatments for depression can be extended with confidence 
beyond a white non-Hispanic population. That's another very important, significant finding of this study. Unfortunately, most depression studies tend to be very homogeneous, um, middle-aged or slightly younger Caucasian women almost always make up the bulk of the samples. So the fact that they achieve their results with a much more diverse sample uh, is also extremely important. And Dr. Mayberg said, ultimately our studies show that clinical characteristics such as age, gender, etc., and even patients' preferences regarding treatment are not as good as identifying likely treatment outcomes as the brain measurement. Well, again, while this is very important and interesting, if not fascinating, uh, it's not practical, it's not cost-effective. Uh, hopefully, it will lead to some solutions that are. Now, um, it's one thing to predict whether someone will respond to medication or psychotherapy in the treatment of depression. But when it comes to treating bipolar disorder, uh, there really is no choice. There has to be medication treatment. Uh, there's never been any known treatment for bipolar disorder that could keep someone from having extreme mood episodes without medication. And lithium has always been the mainstay of such treatment. It is a medication that to this day is the gold standard of treatment for bipolar disorder, even though because of its side effect and adverse safety profile, it has ceased to be a popular treatment for many, many years now. Um, it, I think, precisely because there are so many side effect and safety concerns that if we had a way of knowing in advance whether someone would respond to it or not, you could certainly minimize the unnecessary exposure to patients of a drug that, while extremely effective, unfortunately can also uh, bring about many different types of toxicities, chief among them damage to kidneys and thyroid. For roughly one-third of people diagnosed with bipolar disorder, lithium is a miracle drug, effectively treating both their mania and depression, which are the two mood extremes that bipolar patients suffer from. But once someone is diagnosed, it can take up to a year to learn whether that person will be among the 30% who respond to lithium or the 70% who do not. Now, scientists at the Salk Institute report a way to predict with 92% accuracy, which is staggering. I mean, any medical uh, treatment or test uh, is considered an overwhelming success if it's far lower than that. So 92% accuracy is just phenomenal. Uh, so it's a way to predict whether an individual with bipolar disorder will be a lithium responder. The work appeared online in the journal Molecular Psychiatry on February the 28th, and it validates the lab's 2015 discovery of a cellular basis for the disorder and could benefit not only those who will respond to lithium, but also the vast majority who will not 
sparing them an ineffective treatment. And uh, I also would add, again, like I talked to you about, a potentially uh, toxic treatment. What's remarkable about this system is that you don't need to use 500 or 600 cells from multiple patients. That, according to Rusty Gage, a professor in Salk's Laboratory of Genetics and senior author of the new work. Five cells from one patient is enough to define whether someone is responsive or non-responsive to lithium. It's remarkable that they can make such an accurate determination with so few cells. More than 5 million Americans suffer from bipolar disorder, a progressive psychiatric condition that, left untreated, puts sufferers at high risk for suicide. As I said, lithium is the preferred drug to treat the disorder, but it isn't clear why it works for some people and not others. The Gage team's previous breakthrough, published in the journal Nature on October 28, 2015, suggested a reason, revealing that the brain cells of people with bipolar disorder are more easily stimulated, firing electrical impulses more rapidly than the brain cells of people without the disorder. The team found that maintaining some people's brain cells in a lithium-infused medium calmed this hyperexcitability. In 2015, they discovered the brain cells of bipolar disorder patients are more sensitive to stimuli than those of other people. And since then, they've been able to characterize that sensitivity in greater detail and discern clear patterns in the brain cells of bipolar patients that allow them to predict who will respond to lithium and who will not. We'll go into more detail about their method when we come back from our next commercial break. You're listening to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott. Be right back after these few words. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. 
This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Psychiatry Today with your host, psychiatrist Dr. Scott Bay, bringing you all the latest mental health-related news. And we're continuing our discussion of how researchers at the Salk Institute have found a simple blood test to determine whether a patient with bipolar disorder would respond to treatment with lithium or not. This new study sought to understand why, despite seemingly equivalent hyperactivity, some bipolar patients' brain cells respond to lithium while others do not. This time, instead of doing the research using skin cells, the team reprogrammed lymphocytes, which are immune cells, white blood cells essentially, from six entirely new bipolar patients, some of whom are known lithium responders. The team found the same hyperexcitability in the lymphocyte-derived brain cells, validating their earlier results. But then they started to see something more. Although responders and non-responders to lithium both produce more electrical impulses and spontaneous activity, when they look at the electrophysiological properties, the two groups are very different from each other. The SOC team characterized the electrical firing patterns of all six patients' brain cell lines measuring spike height, spike width, the the threshold for evoking a reaction, and other qualities. The overall patterns were noticeably different in responders versus non-responders. The work replicated the previous finding of brain cell hyperexcitability in brain cells derived from a new group of patients diagnosed by a different psychiatrist, confirming the robustness of this characteristic and its potential use for drug development. Wondering whether the differences could be predictive, the team trained a computer program to recognize the variations between the profiles of lithium responders versus non-responders using the firing patterns of 450 total brain cells over six independent training rounds. In each round, it started fresh with the brain cells of five of the patients to train the system. They then tested the system with the neurons of the sixth patient, whose lithium status was known to the team, but not to the program. They repeated the process five more times, which allowed them to build essentially six independent models. 
Each model was trained on the data from five out of the six patients, leaving a different patient out of the training data each time, and then letting the model classify this remaining patient as a responder or non-responder. Using the firing patterns of just five of any patient's neurons, the system identified the person as a responder or non-responder with 92% accuracy. These stem cell-based studies are technically challenging, in addition to being labor and resource intensive. As a result, many of the studies published up to now describe only two or three patient stem cell lines. Findings like these are needed to utilize these cells to develop new drugs to treat mental illnesses. The team says their method could be applied to lymphocytes taken from bipolar patients' blood samples to find out whether specific individuals would be good candidates for lithium therapy. When different scientists are able to get the same results in different cells from different patients, as has been demonstrated to be the case in this study, they can have more confidence they are really onto something that will be beneficial for their patients. Well, while this is a very exciting development, it's still a good ways to something like this being developed commercially so that someone like myself could send their bipolar patient uh, to have this blood test done and get back an answer, hey, this is likely to be a lithium responder or not. Uh, very exciting. Uh, looking forward to being able to utilize something like that, hopefully, while I'm still practicing before I retire. Next up on Psychiatry Today, we have a veterans and military mental health update for you. Drug and alcohol problems are linked to increased veteran suicide risk, especially in women. Uh, you're aware, if you're a regular and long-time listener, that the military are paying much more attention in recent years to the alarmingly higher rate of suicide in the veteran and military population as compared to the civilian population. Veterans who have drug or alcohol problems are more than twice as likely to die by suicide as their comrades, according to this new study, and women veterans with substance abuse disorders have an even higher rate of suicide, more than five times that of their peers. The risk of suicide differs depending on the type of substance the veteran has problems with. The highest suicide risks are among those who misuse prescription sedative medicines, such as tranquilizers, women veterans who misuse opioid drugs, which are used to treat pain, have an especially high risk of suicide. The research was published in the journal Addiction by a team from the University of Michigan and Department of Veterans Affairs, finds that much of the difference in suicide risks might be explained by veterans who have both mental health conditions and substance use issues. But they say the new findings point to a need to focus more veteran suicide prevention efforts on those who have substance use disorders, especially if they also have depression, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, or anxiety. 
The new findings come from one of the largest ever examinations of substance use disorders and suicide involving more than 4.4 million veterans. 20 veterans die by suicide each day, a much higher rate than in the general population. Because two-thirds of the suicides in the study involved firearms, the researchers also note that firearm safety is important in efforts to reduce the toll of suicide on those who have served the nation. In addition, one quarter of suicides among veterans with substance use disorders were by intentional poisoning, highlighting the need for strategies to prevent that form of suicide in this group. The researchers say their work may have implications for the civilian population as well, but that it's harder to study individuals outside the VA in the same way because records aren't centralized like they are at the VA. Researchers from the Department of Veterans Affairs, University of Michigan Addiction Center, and Institute for Healthcare Policy and Innovation looked at VA records from a large group of veterans who saw a VA provider in 2004 and 2005. They then tracked suicides among this group over the next six years. In all, 8.3% of men and 3.4% of women in the group had a substance use disorder recorded in their list of diagnoses in 2004 to 2005. And 9,087 of the veterans in the study group died by suicide during the follow-up years. Using statistical techniques, the team calculated suicide rates per 100,000 veterans and then calculated those rates for veterans with substance use issues overall and for specific substance use disorders. In all, the suicide rate was 75.6 per 100,000 for veterans with any substance use disorder, compared with 34.7 for veterans overall. A previous study found similarly higher rates in veterans who were tracked from 1999 to 2006. But the new study lets the researchers drill down to the specific substance that veterans had problems with, including alcohol, opioids, marijuana, and cocaine. The study found the suicide risk was highest for veterans of both genders who misused sedatives, 171.4 per 100,000, and markedly higher for women misused opioids at 98.6 per 100,000. The researchers couldn't distinguish between misuse of prescription opioids and problems with other non-prescription opioids such as heroin. Men who misused amphetamines also had a suicide rate of 95 per 100,000. The study couldn't tell whether they were misusing prescription amphetamines, such as those used for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or using illicit drugs, such as methamphetamine. The researchers then took into account veterans' age 
and the overall severity of their medical conditions and calculated the risk of suicide by type of substance use disorder. This reduced the size of the difference in suicide risks somewhat, but most of the original relationships remained. When the researchers factored in mental health diagnoses, the picture changed. Among women, only alcohol and opioid disorders remained associated with higher suicide risk independent of mental and physical health. Differences between men and women diminished as well. But both genders with substance use disorders had a higher rate of suicide even after differences in physical and mental health were factored in. In all, assessment and treatment of coexisting psychiatric conditions in addition to substance use may be important in lowering the risk of suicide among individuals who have substance use disorders. It's very important research. Uh, we can only hope that this will lead to better assessment and treatment of substance use disorders in our military and veteran population and that in turn would help to reduce uh, the suicide rate among this group. Um, it is well known that in the civilian population and in the population overall substance use disorders are also known to increase the risk of suicide as well as to increase the risk of violent behavior. Well, that's going to wrap it up for tonight's show. Hope you have a wonderful, stress-free week until we get together next time. But if not, you need to call Dr. Scott. Good night, and thanks for listening. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.